Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. I'm really sorry. These past six days, I have not got a podcast out. Uh, I, it, it wasn't my choice, uh, but I've just been really busy. I, for the first time, it feels like forever, I hadn't had any sports going on, so I had time to do a lot of podcasts. We got on a good roll, but now basketball's starting to start up again for me, uh, which I don't, I'm very glad it is, uh, but that's just led to a little less free time, but I'm definitely uh, still trying to get out around three podcasts a week. Uh, but anyway, enough with that chit-chat. Let's get to uh, the point. Uh, in today's episode, first, excuse me for the um, shaking there. Uh, first, we are going to take a call from the Sports Daily. He called in last episode, I do believe, and he's got two questions for us today. And then I want to talk about this NBA season getting underway. Week one, I want to discuss week one. We're going to go in-depth with the Celtics, most of you are Celtics fans. You know I like to go in-depth with my Boston sports teams. But I want to touch up on the rest of the league for those of you who aren't Boston sports fans or you know, not Celtics fans or just because why not? I want to touch up on some of the bigger headlines in the NBA throughout one week, uh, despite how convoluted it is, and the Celtics' first three games. Then the NFL trade deadline. It was a dud, the trade deadline itself. But th- the days leading up, there were some rumors. You know, what were some moves that some teams should have made? You know, let's just reflect back on some of the moves that were made. I want to talk all about the NFL trade deadline and also some of the other bigger headlines, you know, some cuts that happened, all that jazz. So first, I'm going to uh, take the Sports Daily's call, so let's get a listen. I've got another question about the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis. Do you think Giannis is in the same spot as Kawhi Leonard was last year? I've got another question about basketball. What team in the NBA has the best future? Um. Okay. Thank you for the call, uh, the Sports Daily. Definitely do appreciate it. Again, you guys can go call in on the Anchor Mobile app. In case you're wondering, go on your Apple, uh, Apple Play Store or whatever, Google Play, the App Store on Apple. Um, and then you can type in Anchor mobile app. It'll pop up. You can download the app. You can send a voice message that message that way. Or you, if you don't want to get the app or you can't, go on Safari, Google, whatever you have. Type it out for the Buzzer Sports Talk by Aiden Mayer on Anchor to pop up that way. Anyway, enough with that. Let's get to these two questions. First of all, is Giannis in a, the same spot Kawhi was last year? Uh, and my answer is not really. Somewhat in the fact that he had he has pressure on him, but I think Kawhi had a lot. I don't. I I want to say a lot more in a way. The Raptors did not have as high expectations as the Bucks do this year. The Raptors were not predicted to be the best team in the East. Many people didn't have them coming out of the East. Never mind winning the NBA Finals. Some most people have the Bucks getting out of the East. Some even not winning the NBA Finals. But Kawhi. A lot of pressure in a sense. He was facing a lot of heat at the time. Remember, Kawhi was such a likable guy until all the stuff went down with the Spurs. People really didn't like him. And with Giannis, he's a very likable player. It's a tough one. I think there are some similarities and some differences. Uh, And who has the best future in the NBA? This one is so hard to answer. And I think it really comes down to the two general answers. I think I think you could throw in a dark horse. I think there's the Hawks and the Pelicans are the flashy, you know, young duo, uh, young, especially the Pelicans. Uh, but they're the two main answers. But what about the Nuggets? I think people forget about the Nuggets. Now, they don't have as many flashy players, like, they, and they probably won't be able to keep their whole young core. They've got, it, it really, a lot of it lies on what can Michael Porter Jr. Bobo do. Because we know Nicole Jokic is a top 10 player in the NBA, so he's great. And he's still a young talent. Jamal Murray's, a, I'm not a big fan, but he's still a great player. And then they got, you know, little, nice little younger players like Gary Harris, uh, Malik Beasley, Monty Morris, and guys like that. But when I look at that young court, as great as it is, I don't know how much more potential they have. Like, the Pelicans and the Hawks young court definitely have more potential than that young court. But then we throw in Michael Porter Jr. and Bobo. 
it depends where they end up. Because there are guys with very low ceilings and very, uh, very high ceilings and very low floors. So it depends what happens to those who both of them end up being fringe all-star players. Then they definitely, if well, if one of them ends up being a superstar, the other's a fringe all-star, they now gets probably the best young core. If they both bust, or Michael, you know, one of them's just a and player that really can't stay healthy, the other just ends up completely busting, then no. It really depends. It, I think it goes between the Hawks and the Pelicans, and then the Nuggets are right behind them. But it just depends if what happens to Bobo Bo and Michael Porter Jr. I think that's, uh, I, that's where the controversy sets in. I think there are also some other teams that could, you know, flip the switch in a year. They've got some draft capital. Uh, and I think like the I wouldn't say the Heat definitely don't have the best young core, but they've got an underrated one. But like there are some teams with a few nice young players, and then you know if they just hit on another draft pick or two, maybe they sign a guy in free agency. Who knows? That's still somewhat young. You know, maybe 24, 23. People go on the market young. They they could they could flip the switch and enter the conversation as well. I think the Kings. Young core is good. It tends to get a little overrated sometimes because people think Buddy Heald's young. He's basically in his prime. Deer and Fox, yes, but outside of Fox, maybe Bagley. But I wouldn't say they have the best young core. But those are two good questions. Thank you for the call. Uh, but now, again, the NBA season. First, I'm going to start with the Celtics. Their first three games. Starting with that first one against the 76ers. We lost 107-93. to Boy, was that atrocious. I do believe this was the last that this was the day that I got out my last episode. That's how long ago this was. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to talk. I will say, just before we start, good to talk basketball again. It's good day. It's good that that's you know back in the swing of things. Uh, and then the other day, actually, just fun fact before we start, trust me. It's the last time. This is the one day in the whole year, back on like Sunday. Yeah, on Sunday. That all four major sports were playing: NHL, NBA, NFL, MLB, which makes sense because the NBA season just starting, MLB season about to end. It's the only day, you know, this is like the only week that both of them are playing, and then it's the only, you know, real day of the week that the NFL. Yeah, you get the point. And then NHL, uh, but this was kind of just—I didn't really think the Sixers played great in this game. I just think the Celtics played worse. To me, it was basically this. The Celtics played a little worse than the 76ers. I think the Sixers started to pick it up a little, and I think the Sixers played a little better in the second half. They went and collected themselves. They were bad. The The Sixers were really bad in that first quarter. You were a little better. But then after that, they got a little better as the game progressed, but they were still bad. You were worse. That is how you lost that first game. That was so frustrating because I'm kind of like, all right, I'm not going to take too much. It's the first game facing a tough team on the road. Okay. But, oh, that was oof, that was atrocious. You you lost because you were worse than the 76ers. I don't know if the 76ers are going to play that bad in any of the rest of the matchups. Not a huge believer in the Sixers, but I don't think they're going to play that bad maybe the rest of the season whenever you face them. That was a chance to take advantage. You didn't, of course. But I, I don't really know what to say. Hayward, I will say, the one player I was really impressed with was Gordon Hayward. He came in, and it was a strong showing for him. He was he was attacking the basket. He was looking good. Tatum wasn't horrendous either. He had 10 boards, 21 points. Uh, but Walker was horrible in this game. Kemba Walker, he was atrocious. He was atrocious in this game. He couldn't throw the ball into the ocean. He was bad. Jalen Brown didn't show me a whole lot. Just guys like that. Uh, but this game was just you beating yourselves because they did not play very well. They shot 43.5% from the field. You shot 36.7%. You shot 36% from the field. Usually I round that number up, but I'm not here. Three-pointers. They shot 24%. You shot 27. You went 7 for 26. They went 7 for 29. Oh, my gosh. Is this bad? The field goal percentages for both team were bad. 76ers wasn't horrendous, but it was still pretty bad. Oh, it got bad. worse than the three-pointers. You know what the uh, 76ers really did thrive, though, at the free-throw line? Especially in that first half. That is what kept them alive in that game. You remember, they couldn't get a basket either, but you kept fouling them. You don't have very good defenders. Not very disciplined either. You kept fouling them. They couldn't 
put the ball in the ocean just like you couldn't the whole game. Looks like Kemba Walker. They could they were doing the same thing. They were throwing up bricks and bricks, but you got them to the free throw line. They capitalized. They were 72% as a team. They scored 20. They made 26 free throws. They scored 26 points from the line. You scored 20. And they only got to the free throw line two more times than you did. You were 20 for 34. Your team was not good on the free throw line either. 76ers didn't impress me from the free throw line. They just got to the charity stripe a lot. Both teams did. I remember the Celtics last year never got to the free throw line. If you any of you listened, I'd always rant on how they never got to the charity stripe. Today, this game, they did. They just weren't really making it. No shot could fall. You got killed on the boards by 21 rebounds. They beat 21 rebounds. They, yeah, I mean, they're a monster team. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, they got... Almost every guy in that starting five can grab a board. Who can in your starting five? Like, you just have nobody. But they they didn't play that good. They, you just played worse. And you got them easy points because they destroyed you. And the, the main reason they won was they destroyed you in the paint. And you kept them in the game by continuously fouling them in the first half. Overall, yeah, they only scored six more points at the free throw line than you did. But at the beginning of that game, that's what kept them in it. The, the fouls went down the second half, but in the first half, you were just hacking away. That's all I've got to say about that first game. It wasn't bad, but it was a good bounce back the next day against the Raptors. They pulled out a close uh, win, 112-106. Raptors have been decent so far. But what happened with the Celtics here? Kemba Walker finally has a good game. Scores 22. He's actually very good defensively. His matchup most of the night was uh, OG Ananobi, who uh, was one of their highest in point uh, minutes played. And he he did a good Kemba did good at defense. Okay, he was good defensively. Jason Tatum was aggressive in this game, same with Jalen Brown. Like Gordon Hayward wasn't bad in this game. I saw decent showings from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Walker had a nice bounce back game. Smart wasn't bad either. This was a good game. You you know, you're finally really scoring points. I mean, you only shot 39% from the field in this game. 109 shots. And you shot 34% from three. But you got to the free throw line only 16 times, which isn't great, but you made 15. And that's important. They were shooting from a very efficient clip at the free throw line. They need to get to the free throw line more, though. This is what happened last season. They, on average, were getting around 16 free throws a game, and that's not good. I know they only had 17. There are going to be some nights where I, I remember the fouls, too. Oh, people were complaining about the refs in this game, Raptors fans. I saw one. I just went got really mad. The refs, I'd say, were on the Celtics' side, in a way. But you had more free throws than the Celtics did. I mean, I know not all fouls get you to the foul line. I know that. I play basketball. I'm aware. I know the simple rules and whatnot. But, I just, I mean, all this complaining when, in reality, you had more free throws than the Celtics did. They only had 16. Yeah, you only had 17, but you still had more. The Celtics probably got benefited by the refs. I'd say it helped them out a little bit overall in this game, but still, it wasn't that big of a deal, like some of these Raptors fans complaining. Uh, the, the Raptors were efficient. They shot really well from three. They were 18 for 36, 50%. They shot the ball really well. But you didn't give them a lot of shots, which was important. I loved they really slowed the tempo of the game down. Uh, and just, they they took a ton of shots. They had most of the offensive possessions. They shot 47% from the field. You shot 39% and still made more shots. The Celtics took way more shots than the Raptors. The Raptors were much more efficient overall. But the Celtics didn't allow them to get a lot of shots. They didn't get a whole lot of possessions, anything like that. If the Raptors got the ball the amount of times the Celtics did, they would have crushed them. But they didn't. The Celtics, the Raptors shot better than the Celtics did. We're probably better offensively, but the Celtics uh, really just took control of that game and didn't allow them to get a lot of shots. Also, on the boards, Raptors are a decent rebounding team. I wouldn't say as good as the Sixers, but they're still decent. You out-rebounded them by 10 and killed them on the offensive glass. You had 21 offensive rebounds. That is awesome. 21 offensive rebounds, and... I mean, Ennis Cantor's not a good uh, defender, but, I mean, not a good, very good rebounder, but he's your best big man, and he was out in this game. They killed him on the offensive glass. That was huge in this game. This is actually huge. The fact that you out-rebounded a, a team 
especially one that's decent on the boards, was key. But 21 offensive rebounds, that was mainly the thing. Like, yeah, they slowed the tempo down a little bit and definitely uh, led to them getting a lot of shots compared to the Raptors not getting as many. But the offensive boards, these second-chance opportunities, is why they racked up so many shots and why the Raptors didn't get a whole lot of time offensively. The reason the Celtics won this game was offensive rebounds, believe it or not, because that gave them these second-chance opportunities. The first shots weren't falling. And then that led in. It was a game of inches, really. Only one by six. So I think that was the key. The offensive rebounds, in my opinion, were the reason they won. Then Celtics versus Knicks. Despite the 118-95 blowout, I mean it's a 23-point, uh, yeah, 23-point game. It wasn't that close. Okay, it wasn't that close. You really beat them in the second half, especially that fourth quarter. At the beginning, you were losing. Four, uh, 11 to two. You had to call a timeout, and then it was like 14 to four. The beginning was bad. They destroyed you in that. For, they they were off to a red hot start, and you just could do nothing about it. I mean, you could have played better defense, but that's a story for a different day. But the Celtics, after that, collected themselves by the end of the first quarter. I think it was a tie game, or they were down or up by one. It was a close game. They 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 came back quickly and made it a close game. From there, it was pretty neck and neck, honestly. Throughout the second quarter, it was neck and neck. You got outscored by three. Overall, the Knicks went into halftime with a five-point lead. The Knicks outplayed you overall in the half. They, they scored more points, but really, you take away those first five minutes, you played better. You really came back. Outside of those first five minutes, you were the better team. But, you know, you can't just eliminate those overall. They were still winning. But then you came out of the locker room, scored 11 more than they did in the third quarter. You scored 36 points. Then you scored 36 again in the fourth, and they only scored 19. I think what happened was the Celtics got off to a bit of a slow start offensively. The Knicks got off to a hot start. Then the Knicks went into the locker. After halftime, the Celtics shots started to fall for really the first time all year. I mean, yeah, Smart hit some threes early in that game. Carson Edwards hit a jumper. Like, yeah, stuff like that. Gordon Hayward hit a wide-open three. But overall, I'm just saying in general, they the shots weren't too bad at the beginning, but they really started to fall. I mean, he shot 45% from the field. Not bad. He had 13 offensive rebounds compared to their 16. So they out-rebounded you, and they're not a huge team either. I mean, yeah, they got Mitchell Robbins and Julius Randle, but still, they're a ginormous team. Uh, but you forced turnovers, 23 turnovers for the Knicks. I thought that was key as well. You forced 23 turnovers. That's a ton. Celtics had 12. 12's right around the league average. I think. Yeah, I think 12's right around the league average. They had 23. They basically doubled their turnovers. So I think the Celtics... Kind of went into the locker room. And I think the Knicks cooled down. It was a mix of the Knicks cooling down. The Celtics playing a little better defense. Uh, but also for the Celtics, again, their shots really started to fall. I mean, you had some lucky ones. Like Marcus Smart's three, where Carson Edwards kicked it out. It was like one second left on the game clock. And he had like a chuck up a shot. And like, you know, like that quick, really quick release. He got lucky, kind of lucky there. But Kemba Walker was on fire this game. The Knicks, I mean... As much as he was on fire, he had so many open threes. It wasn't even funny. Jalen Brown was decent in this game. Uh, he had some great takes to the hoop, which I love. I want to see Jalen Brown take it to the hoop more, just like he did in his rookie year. Tatum wasn't bad. Hayward wasn't great, but, uh, yeah, he missed that dunk. But that was contested. Uh, but he's going to have some off nights. Robert Williams wasn't bad. Uh, Marcus Smart, again, he, he was hitting some threes. He had four threes in that game. wasn't horrible. He could have been better defensively, but his offense game was bad. Edwards stepped up. Uh, he had 10 points. He had that three. He had two jump shots. I forget how he got his other um, points. I think it was just another three that I'm forgetting. Uh, Grant Williams. He's been quietly giving you around five points per game off the bench. And as much as, for most part, if I were to ask anything for Grant Williams, just give me... Defense and rebounding, and he had <laughs> one rebound and and defense. But uh, anyway, he's a rookie. Defense isn't really his uh, touche. I don't know. Cup of tea. I don't know what to say. Uh, but Taco played four minutes, four points, three rebounds. I know, and it's can't. I all right, if I'm not mistaken, a G League deal 
lets you bring uh, Taco up for about 45 games. So he can't play anything over 45 games. Why are we... Pl- I know Ennis Cantor's out, but why are we playing him now? Why not let Taco develop in the G League and bring him in midway? Like, I know, you know, Cantor's banged up now, but odds are you're going to have more injuries as the season goes on. Plus, you let Taco develop a little bit more in the G League. I think Taco isn't a bad 15th man because he can go in there and literally just dunk. There's nothing defenders can do about it. I actually think Taco could be a useful player. Uh, I think they should use him. If you're going to have him on the team and waste these games played, use him. But I think they should send him down to the G League. I mean, if if this is their strategy, we're just going to play him for you know a few games here, and once Cantor comes back, we're just going to send him down to the G League. And you only have to spend a few games on him, that's fine. Because you need a little insurance. You need a little back if you had to use him while Cantor's out. Hopefully he's able to stay healthy and you don't have to call up Cantor for the rest of the year. Maybe until the end of the year you you know, you want to get him in for those last few games or you want to use up his games. I think uh, Taco can give you production. Throw him out there for six minutes. I mean, yeah, it's per 36. I know. It's crazy. It's 36 you know, points and 28 rebounds or something. This per 36 stats, something like that. But, you know, is that really going to happen? And, yeah, I know Taco, you're not going to go out and play him for 30 minutes and stuff like that. But I still think he can give you production. Like, he went up there for, I know it was garbage time, but he went up there in four minutes, gave you four points and three boards. I think Taco, you can give this guy four to six minutes a night, and he can give you a little something. But I want him to go down to the G League. I, I seriously am dedicated to this Taco fall. I really, I know the memes, I know it all, but I seriously think there's some potential here. I don't think he'll ever be an all-star, but I think he can at least be an even better Boban Marjanovic. People say his ceiling's Boban, and yeah, I think he owes a lot of credit to Boban. If it weren't for Boban, I don't know if he'd be in the league. But, he, you know, I think he can be better than Boban. He's bigger than Boban. He showed a lot more out of the gate. I'm not saying he has much skill. He's a very raw player. But he, he showed me, I, I, I know he, he doesn't have much skill, but he's that tall. He, I, I seriously do think there's actually something there. You can get a decent player out of Taco, like a decent backup center. I don't know if you can rely on him for starting minutes or as a starter because he's kind of unreliable. You know, he doesn't run the court very well at all. He's injury prone. But as a nice backup center, I think that's what he could be. Kind of like Boban, except I think he can be better than Boban. I do. I think he can be better than Mobon. Uh, but I think there's some potential there. I'd send him down to the G League and let him develop his game. And Because, you know, as much as I, it, it, he can, you know, get a spot, a roster spot in this league by just being tall and doing what he's doing now. But him just take this game to the next level, get a little quicker, a little more mobile on defense, become a little more disciplined of a player, gain, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of a po- you know, one more, two more post moves to his arsenal. Just stuff like that. Just little things that can make him just a little bit better and really expand his game. Just a little bit. He'll never need a three-point shot or anything like that. That'd be awesome. But he he can just live inside the paint. Uh, but that's all I'm going to uh, say on the Celtics. Uh, some of the bigger headlines this season so far. Uh, first one I'll get to is Kyrie Irving. The Nets right now are ninth. They're one and two. They lost to the Timberwolves in overtime. Then they beat the Knicks in not overtime. Was that that wasn't overtime? But they beat the Knicks. So they lost the Timberwolves by one in overtime. Then they beat the Knicks by four. And then they lost in overtime again to the Grizzlies. So they played really close games against three teams that they're better than. Kyrie has been great so far throughout these first three games. He's been great, and I think he showed that he cares. Then we hear the report today that these mood swings are starting to concern. Like they, he already had one mood swing in, in China when the team went to China. He really didn't talk to anyone. The same mood swings that got him out of Cleveland, same mood swings that got him out of Boston, has translated over to Brooklyn. I thought it'd be a little better in Brooklyn. He's got Kevin Durant. Uh, these first few games, he seemed to be, you know, like into it. He's had, like, a smile on his face, you know, and just stuff like that. But now we hear the report today. 
I, I saw mood swings coming, but this early? Like, already? Come on, man. And But also, what I have to say on the Nets, people are, you know, saying... At first, it seems like a Devin Booker scenario with the Suns last year, where, you know, Kyrie, just like Devin Booker, will put on a show and score a lot of points, but it doesn't translate to wins. I just think it's a matter of the Nets just a chemistry thing. I think they just need to figure it out, put it all together. Not even just a chemistry thing. The players around Kyrie have really struggled so far this season. And I, he's got some decent players. They've just struggled. They got to click together. And again, the beginning of the season is so convoluted. I can't. I don't read much into the beginning of the season. I want to see these teams play more than three games. It's three games at the beginning of the year. Like I don't read much into week one of the NFL. So many upset. It's just no. If we read into you know week one of the NFL. I mean, there are some things like, you know, the Browns didn't play well. Turns out that showed us something. But, like, we all thought the Browns were great and the Titans were worse than them and the Titans went out and blew them out if we read into that. You know, just, I don't know, just stuff like that. Just, this is exactly what it is. There are three games in. How many, have any teams played two games? No. So, you know, three to four games in. Some teams will play four games. Three to four. Whatever. You know what I will say? The Pacers are 0-3. There are only three teams in the league that are winless. The Pelicans, who are 0-4, they have not been very good, but they've at least played close games, and the Kings are also 0-4. They've struggled. The Pacers have also struggled. They lost to the Pistons by 9, the Cavs by 11, and the Pistons by 2. Why are they playing the Pistons twice? And second of all, you can win these games in Indiana. I have Indiana going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Come on, pick up the pace. They are quietly not doing very well. But people like the Pacers. It's early in the season. There are some headlines people are reading into big time, and the Pacers are sliding under the radar. But the Pacers better win a game because, you know, one or two more losses, people are going to start picking up on it. Uh, next thing I'll get to is just winging this, honestly. But I got some things that I I knew I was going to want to talk about. Uh, let's see. I want to talk about the Timberwolves. Okay. I want to talk about them because they're 3-0 so far this season. And I've got to give Carl Anthony Town some credit. Okay. This is a guy that I've been critical on because I think... Great talent, but he's too soft, and you can't build a championship contender around him. Great second option to have, but you, he's too soft, can't build a second. He's played like an MVP candidate so far this season. Now, yeah, so is Trey Young. We could argue um, other players that are an MVP. You know, I don't know. But just, it's so convoluted. But we know Carl Anthony Towns is really good. I think Towns can... We'll cool off just a little bit, and the Timberwolves will cool off a little bit as the season goes. But Carl Anthony Towns can really make a case for a top 10 NBA player this season, whether you like it or not. But that's got to translate into some wins. I think if the Timber, I think if Carl Anthony Towns continues, a, I don't know what his stat line is right now. Let's let's go ahead and look it up. Carl Anthony Towns. So the uh, the what's their name? Timberwolves are. Uh, 4-0 right now. It's weird to say. 3-0. 3-0 right now. Last season, I think they won around 36 games. If the Timberwolves win right now, all right, first of all, right now, his stat line is 32 points, 13 rebounds. Those are really his two big stats. If he puts up by the end of the year, his stats are 28 points per game, 13 rebounds a night, improved defense in their uh, – Around like a four, 39 win team, a 40 win team. He's got a case, an MVP case. I don't think he'll win it, but he's got a KO case and he might become a top 10 NBA player. Timberwolves will look decent so far, mostly due to Carl Anthony Towns. I think they'll cool down eventually, though. Nuggets, so 3 0. Most people agreed that they'd be the number one seed. Again, I don't want to say it's given at this point, but. They, they, they played pretty well and they've kind of, you know, most people again have said. They'll be the one seed that's looked like a, a good bet so far. The Clippers at 3-1. They're one loss to the Suns. 
Uh, but uh, their first two games were pretty tough. They had the Lakers, they had the Warriors, then they had the Suns, who they lost to, and then the Hornets. The Clippers have played. They are, in my opinion, after this first week, they have looked like the best team in the NBA. And they don't even have Paul George yet. Most people think they're the best team in the NBA, and we can make a debate that they played like the second or third best team in the NBA, but they don't have Paul George. They look like at least a top three team, at least. And some of those teams that have looked like the best, we could argue are the you know, the T-Wolves, I guess you could say. I don't know. The Clippers, I, again, they, they've got some flaws. They've got some weaknesses, but they've looked like a really good team like we all expected. Uh, Rockets, 2-1. The Russ-Harden duo has been good, but it seems to be affecting James Harden. A little. Mentally, maybe. James Harden, he has struggled this year. Uh, so far, it's only been, it's only three games, but Russell Westbrook has been the best player on the Houston Rockets. I'm looking up James Harden's stats right now. Uh, but he, right, I know it's only three games, and Westbrook is still a great talent, but Westbrook's been decent. Harden has struggled this year. Harden this year, 29.3 points per game. Which is under, you know, last season he put up like 36. We don't expect that again. But it probably like in the close 30s. That's a little low for him. Not bad, but it's a little low. 8.7 assists. All right, that's decent. But he's shooting 28%, from, not 29% from the field. Yikes. He has been super inefficient. I don't know if it's something getting in his head. He has a win shares, 0.2 win shares so far. Russell Westbrook, on the other hand. Let me look him up. Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, I already know he's doing better. I just want to see his exact stats. These are crazy. Not crazy, but they're good. 24.3 points per game. Okay, not as many as James Harden, but when you hear the efficiencies, everything else he's done, 12.7 rebounds a game. That's really high, especially for a point guard. 9.7 assists per game. He's passing the rock. He's getting a ton of rebounds. He's scoring a decent amount of points, especially when you have James Harden. 50% from the field. 36% from three. His three-point shot hasn't been phenomenal, but it's looked a little better than people thought. He has to continue to stay efficient. Here's my issue, though. I don't think Russell Westbrook is going to shoot 50% when the season's all said and done. And I think his three-point percentage is going to be somewhere between 35% and lower when the season's all said and done. I think the efficiencies are going to go down a little bit. So far, this duo has looked decent. It looks like it's worked out so far. But James Harden has to be much more efficient because Russell Westbrook right now is what's keeping that alive. James Harden, I mean, Russell Westbrook's really kind of pulling the charge. I mean, his James Harden's efficiency's been bad, but Russell Westbrook's kind of picked up some of that slack. But Russell Westbrook's efficiency's going to start going down. James Harden's got to pick it up. I think both of them, you know, Russell Westbrook's efficiency will go down. I think James Harden will start to go up. It's going to be interesting to see how this duo holds up, but so far, I think it's been decent. It's been decent so far, in my opinion. Uh, I don't really think I've got anything else to... Re oh, yeah, the Warriors. I want to get to the Warriors. So the Warriors... First, they, they're one and two right now. First game, they lose to the Clippers, 141 to 122. Offensively, they weren't bad at all. From the field, they shot 39%, which isn't great, but they got 99 shots. Overall, they were average from the field, but they had, you know... D'Lo and Curry weren't bad as a duo. They scored 43 points combined. Draymond wasn't great in this game, but he wasn't horrendous either. But really, a lot of guys stepped up. Glenn Robinson with 13 points. Uh, they had rookies like Eric Pascal, Jacob Evans step up. Jordan Poole had five points. They just had a ton of guys step up, and their offense wasn't bad. Their one biggest issue was their defense, especially on the interior. That's the reason they lost this game. Their offense was great, interior defense not so much. Their offense was phenomenal, especially considering they're facing that Clippers defense. The Warriors offense, tremendous in that game. The defense was what killed them. Then, when they go 0-2, when they lose to the Thunder, that's when everyone starts to panic. I love how everyone says, you can't read much into week one, but people want to say the Warriors ain't going to make the playoffs. Okay, I don't count it out. I think there's a chance they miss. They haven't been as good as I thought. But... We're all talking about don't overreact after week one, but we're halfway into week one, and we're saying the Warriors are going to miss the playoffs because they had one bad loss by 28 points to the Thunder. It was a bad loss, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to stick off for them. 
Draymond wasn't really much better in this game. D'Lo was horrendous. Curry was eh. Overall, some of those young rookies were still decent, but they weren't as good. They really struggled in this game. Then, 134-123 win to the Pelicans. D'Lo and Curry, uh, as a duo, really got back on track. Draymond was tremendous in this game all around. He's more aggressive offensively. He's grabbing boards, you know, dishing out dimes, playing great defense. Damian Lee at 23 points, really stepped up. Jordan Poole at 13. Glenn Robinson's quietly had a very good season. He had 12. They just got this. But here's my problem with the Warriors. Their defense, clearly offensively, even if D'Lo is an off night here and there, they're going to put up some good amount of points. Their offense is not the problem. Defensively is what's going to kill them. They are a horrible team defensively. Outside of Draymond Green, you know, Clay Thompson obviously hurt, but really outside of Draymond Green, I can't name a good defender on that team. And I know guys like Willie Cauley-Stein are hurt, but Cauley-Stein's not really a great defender that's going to fix all their issues either. So the Warriors, I think they're going to have to make some trades, honestly. I think the Warriors, you know, should throw a resource or two out the window for a, a good defender. You know, on the wing, you know, like a 3 and D wing maybe wouldn't be bad. I, I, You know, even a slashing, good, like an athletic slashing wing that can play defense wouldn't be bad either because you've got a lot of three-point shooting on your team with Curry and D'Lo. Yeah, they need to figure out who's going to be their backup point guard. That is not their biggest issue. Their biggest issue is defense. I don't care what anybody says. All these people out here saying they need to focus on who their backup point guard is. No, they need a real center. They just need defense in general outside of Draymond Green. Defense, defense, defense is clearly their biggest problem because this team can put up 120 points and they're still not even a lock to win. They've allowed 120 points or more in every single game. And really outside the Clippers, they face the Thunder and the Pelicans, two teams that probably won't even be in the playoffs. The Warriors need to figure out their defense. They're going to be in some big trouble. That is all I've got to say on the first week of the NBA. Uh, And now we are going to transition over to the NFL trade deadline. So let's get to that. Usually, uh... The NFL trade deadline's more exciting. The deadline itself today, there were no trades at all. Basically, a keep to leave, and you heard Andy Dalton got benched. I'm going to get to all that. A few kickers getting cut. Leading up to today, there was a decent amount of action. Overall, th- this just wasn't a great trade deadline, I guess. There were a lot of rumors, but everyone, for the most part, really just stood pat. Now I'm going to talk about some of the moves that just didn't happen. I'm going to talk about all the moves that did happen. First one I'm going to get to that happened a while ago. Not a while, like over a week ago. The Michael Bennett trade to the Dallas Cowboys. Patriots trade Michael Bennett for a seventh, the conditional seventh-round pick that can become a sixth-round pick with whatever you know, Michael Bennett plays the rest of the season. I don't know. Overall, the decent move for both sides. I thought the Patriots could have got a little more for Michael Bennett. But it was clear it just wasn't going to work out. I mean, you get get something out of them. In rounds, Bill Belichick derives it later in the draft. And you get, a little, you get another draft pick there. But Michael Bennett just clearly didn't work out here. That was a huge blew up in your face. You gave up a decent amount of resources to get Bennett. And at the time, it didn't seem like a horrible trade. But then Bennett com- comes in here, barely plays. When he, you know, those first week or two, he gave you decent production when he played, but then his snap count continues to go down. Then he's a locker room distraction. He gets in, you know, a verbal argument with the coaching staff, gets suspended. Then you got to flip him for a seventh. Overall, huge loss. He barely gave you any predict- production, and you just gave up, I think, a third and a fifth. And in return, get a seventh and slightly any product, and really just more of a distraction. The distraction outweighed the production. A huge loss for the Patriots, uh, but they get rid of them and get something out of it, I guess. But for the Cowboys, this is a decent trade. Yeah, it's risky. You take, you know, it's it's a risky move in a sense that he's kind of a locker room distraction and his upside really isn't that great. I mean, it's a decent upside if you utilize him correctly, but this guy always has problems everywhere he goes. And the Cowboys are clearly all in. Uh, they they really think they can make a push for at least the playoffs this year. I think that's big. Like they need to make the playoffs this year. I think the Cowboys do. So I think Michael Bennett really adds some depth to that defense. It really adds. Uh, I don't want to say another whole dimension, but it gives them some more talent on that defense. It makes their pass rush just that much better. And 
it's a game of it. Honestly, I know that win to the Eagles was huge, but still it's kind of a matter of inches. So between them and the Eagles, even though they did win that last matchup, I think this move could make a difference. I mean, that's going to be revenge game against the Eagles. And I think that game that they have against the Eagles, I don't know when the next one, is. I know they already played the first one. I don't know when the next one is, but that he's going to be hungry and he could make a difference, especially Michael Bennett. Uh, you know, he's going to be really mo- extra motivated against his old team. Uh, next one I'll get to uh, the Kenyon Drake trade. Uh, this one, Kenyon Drake goes to the Cardinals for a conditional sixth round pick that can turn into a fifth round pick. Uh, just a eh, trade for both sides. Like didn't wow me for either side. The Cardinals right now, David Johnson and Chase Edmonds are both hurt. And although the Cardinals aren't really in playoff contention, they played a little better than they th- uh, thought they would. And they really want to try to help out Kyler Murray and see what Cliff Kingsbury can do. Go ahead, flip a mid-round pick for Kenyon Drake. Eh. I, I thought this was just a bit too, I don't know if it was too high. I think just, I don't know. Just, it seems like a rental because when Chase Edmonds comes back and David Johnson comes back, there's really no need for Kenyon Drake. So what is this just for? A thing for you know a few weeks and you're not even really a contender? I think this was just like, I don't know. I feel like they just went a little, you know, too too hard here. Like you could have gone out and got someone a little worse for a cheaper price. That's what I probably would have done. But I'm not saying it's a bad trade or anything. The Dolphins just add even more draft capital and get even worse. Uh, and then we go to the Leonard Williams trade. This actually, this one was a little more significant than people think. Like people, you know, don't really. It's not a huge trade, but it's a decently sized one. Um, for the Giants, this is not a very good trade at all. They give a. This is a very high risk here. They give up a third and a fifth round pick. For a guy that's got a lot of potential, but he clearly isn't going to hit it at this point in his career. He's injury prone, and the Giants are 2-6. and six. He definitely helps them out, for sure. I mean, Leonard Williams, despite the fact that he's a bust, I still really like him. He's still a presence. Uh, some teams will double-team him, which opens uh, things up for some of your other pass rushers. And I think he's a good addition and will be a good fit for the Giants. You just gave him a third and fifth round pick for him. And if he can't stay healthy, you'll never know, you know, what he can do. Like if he does stay healthy, you'll know whether you want to give him an extension or not. But he doesn't, I think this might be his last year on his contract. And you're two and six. So it's not like, you know, he's going to help you make some playoff push either. You're out of the playoff picture. Hate to say it. So for the Giants, it's just a huge risk. And you gave up a lot for him. I don't think this is a very good trade. I love Leonard Williams. For the Jets, this is a good trade. It was time for them to move on from Leonard Williams. It clearly wasn't working out there. And you get a decent pick, and a, two decent picks, a third and a fifth. I think they got a decent amount for Leonard Williams. I think they made the right move there. It was time to move on. Then the Aqib Tlaib trade. Great move for the Dolphins. Because just why not? You give up you give up a seventh round pick for a fifth and a guy who will probably never play for you. Uh, he's on the IR until week 15, so he'll probably come back for the last game or two, and you might just sit him out, um, maybe just plays for one game. Who knows? Uh, but for the Ra- uh, Rams, they just wanted to free up cap space, and they tried to get a deal done, uh, and then they just called the Dolphins and said, listen, we're willing to trade down, you know, we're willing to give you our fifth for your seventh if you take on a keep Tlaib's contract. Uh, Tlaib becomes a free agent, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of this year. And no one wants really Tlaib. I mean, maybe some teams would have a little interest that have the cap space to go out and get them because they're just going to sit there and say, well, maybe if we can make a push, you know, for the playoffs, he's available for that last week or two and then the playoffs. But the I guess no teams were really that interested, and the Rams just want to free up some cap space, have the ability to – this frees up enough cap space uh, to sign Jalen Ramsey. And for the Dolphins, you've got plenty of cap space. It doesn't hurt to take on his contract. And I believe in the long run, this somehow um, clears up cap space for them too. I don't know how, but that's what I heard. Um uh, and you trade up two rounds in the draft. I know it's a seventh to a fifth, but still, I think the Dolphins are really just f- trying to load up as much as they can. Um, but they may not even ever play Aqib Tlaib, but that, that, that doesn't matter. They just trade up two rounds. Why not do it? I, I don't see what the harm is here for Miami. 
Uh, and then just some other moves, like other moves that didn't happen. For example, first one, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell. They're in New York. The Jets trade Leonard Williams, but they stand pat with Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams. I'm glad. I think they could use both of them. Le'Veon Bell just – I know he hasn't been a great fit with the Jets, but I think you've got to give the Jets just a little more time, and I think it really helps out Sam Darnold. It really does because without him, now all of a sudden it becomes just one – like without Sam Darnold, you know how so one-sided to the run game. Without Le'Veon Bell, it might become really one-sided to the pass game. I, I just think Sam, you know, Le'Veon Bell really helps him out. It's a great blanket to have if he's in trouble and no one's open downfield. Just check it down to Le'Veon Bell. He can catch out of the backfield. And Le'Veon Bell, somebody who can take on a lot of catches and uh, pass uh, runs, and he can create some offense, get some yards. He can kind of keep the chains going. He can take some pressure off that pass game. Jamal Adams, he's a decently, you know, he's a pretty young player. He's a Great talent. I don't see what the point in trading him is. I know he's an emotional player, might be you know a little disgruntled there in New York, but he hasn't. I from what I've heard, he hasn't requested a trade. So hang on for with him for hang on to him if you can. Uh, and for the Patriots, I mean, outside of the Muhammad Sanu uh, trade, they stood pat. I'm okay with that because I think the Patriots still had the best team in the league. Uh, regardless, so I'm glad they aren't throwing too many resources at the wall this season. The one I, I I didn't want them to make a big trade and give up another big resource, but if they could have pulled off a trade like Tyler Eifert for a sixth, sign me up. Like you trade that Cowboys pick to the Cincinnati, please. I'll do that. Like if I have to give you know if I flip a late round pick for a Tyler Eifert who yeah can't stay healthy, but he's got a you know he's a one year rental, he's got a favorable contract, and he comes in here and just adds in a, a pass catching tight end if he can stay healthy. I do that uh, in a heartbeat if I'm the uh, Patriots. Just add a little more depth to that wide receiving core that could use some depth. They could use a pass-catching tight end for, what, a sixth-round pick? You're a great team. I know you're already Super Bowl favorites. I know you might not need Tyler Eifert, but I think he helps you out. Why not? For a late-round pick, sure. I didn't want to give up any more resources unless it was getting like Tyler Eifert for a sixth-round pick. But other than that, I was I was fine. I, then I get to the Bengals. They're really the big T. Oh, yeah, and then they cut Mike Nugent. Yep. Uh, but the Bengals, really the big team I want to get to here. First of all, they sit Andy Dalton down for Ryan Finley, which is the reason why I think they didn't really make any trades. They could have traded Carlos Dunlap for a fourth-round pick. They could have traded A.J. Green for maybe a second-round pick. They could have flipped Tyler Eifert again for, for the late-round pick. I understand why they didn't trade all those guys because one, I don't know. I don't know if you want to move on from three guys like that that quick. But two, I think they want to help Ryan Finley out. I would have traded AJ Green. I'm okay with them keeping Eifert because they're saying we want to give Finley some help, and at best we're going to get a sixth or maybe a fifth round pick out of Tyler Eifert. We might as well just hang on from and give Finley help. But AJ Green, you should have traded. I know you want to give um, Ryan Finley help, but Green's been banged up all year. It's the last year of his contract, and you might not sign him back. Trade him because you can get a decent pick out of him. I understand Tyler Eifert because you're not really going to get that much out of him, so you might as well keep him and give Finley something. But A.J. Green, yeah, he'll give he'll give Finley. That's a decent target for Finley, but the pick that you can get. I mean, over they've got Tyler Boyd. They've got Auden Tate. They've got John Ross. The Bengals are not a great team, but they have some decent receivers, believe it or not. Tyler Boyd, Auden Tay, again, as I said, I trade the fact that they didn't trade AJ Green is a huge mistake. Because he, you know, right now he's this is the last year of his deal. Teams were willing to give him a second round pick for AJ Green, and you didn't take that. Take the second round pick all day. You've got decent receivers. I know I didn't want to trade Eifert and Green, but you should have. Yeah, it's fine if you hang on to Eifert. Uh, just, you know, because why not? I mean, you could have traded both of them, and he still got decent support. You know, I know Boyd, Tate, and Ross isn't amazing, but that's not horrendous either. And Joe Mixon. Ryan Finley, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of help there, you know, with or without A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert, but that's still not a horrendous crew around him. I would have they should have traded A.J. Green in a heartbeat. That should have been the big one because that's where you get the most compensation. They should have traded him in a heartbeat. 
Another guy that almost could have got traded was Trent Williams of the Washington Redskins. Now, he just reported back to the Redskins. Here's the reason why. Trent Williams had a holdout going. He wanted to get traded. He had a problem with the medical staff. As soon as week eight, as the trade deadline passed, he said, he said, all right, I'm not, I didn't get traded. I'm just going to report to the Redskins playout this year so I can get my money. That's exactly what happened. He was hoping to get a trade and get that money somewhere else that he actually wanted to be, but he didn't get it. So he said, I'm just going to have to suck this up and get my money here. But the Redskins, I don't know if this is a good or bad move. The left side of their line, that left guard they have is really good too. But Trent Williams is in his 30s now. And you could have got a first-round pick and more for him. A first-round pick and maybe, you know, an okay young player. I heard for the Browns had some interest. And the Redskins want Denzel Ward. I don't know if I go, you know, Denzel Ward. He's a decent player. They picked him up the fourth overall pick. From the Browns, I don't want to give up a Ward for Williams. And potentially more. Ward and more? No thanks. But for the Redskins, it's just like, you know, I see why you want to hang on to him. It helps out just young development. It's going to help protect that blind side. One of the best left tackles in the game. But he's in his 30s now. You're tanking. Does it make sense to maybe trade him? I don't see. I don't think it's a horrible move not trading them. I think it could have gone either way. Uh, more trades like Robbie Anderson could have been moved. Uh, just Darius Slay. I didn't expect him to get moved though. I just name was thrown around. Chris Harris was asked by for some teams, but apparently the Broncos just had a really high asking price. Uh, but overall, the NFL trade deadline was really kind of a dud. Honestly, it was it was kind of a dud. You know, I'm probably missing a thing or two uh, to get to, but there was, there's not really much much else to say. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed again. Go follow me on Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, that's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces for sports content and podcast updates. And again, as I said earlier, go call in on the Anchor Mobile app. Uh, get the Anchor Mobile app. Yeah, you are, you know the drill. Okay, you heard it earlier in the episode. Uh, That's all I've got to say. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.